You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Indiscriminate indicators of compromise spawn fake news about a Vermont grid hack. Meanwhile, the Mounties cautiously, tentatively investigate some odd potential IOCs at an Ontario utility. A hacker claims he pwned the FBI, but it looks like a hoax. A quick rundown of exploits currently romping in the wild. Many of them involve ransomware. And yes, your thumbprint will authenticate you to your phone, even if you've dozed off. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 5th, 2017. There's no shortage of fraud and alarmism gurgling around in cyberspace this week, but fortunately there's also no shortage of cooler heads and skeptical eyes either. Last weekend's view halloo over fancy bears prancing through northern Vermont's electrical grid has by now subsided into a never mind, no game there after all. The story is instructive. Burlington Electric, which seems to have been acting soberly and responsibly throughout, had updated its scanners to look for indicators of compromise provided by the Department of Homeland Security in its alerts pertaining to Russian election influence operations. On Friday, one of the utility's employees checked email on yahoo.com, and the IP address, benign according to ThreatPost, popped up as an IOC. Utility General Manager Neil Lunderville told ThreatPost, Based on that alert, we isolated the computer and reached out to the feds to let them know what we saw. So far, so good. And by the way, bravo, Burlington Electric. We sent the report to the feds, and their indication was that they would get back to us. We went home, and the report broke. And it was wrong. Boy, was it ever. Someone was talking to the Washington Post, and it wasn't Burlington Electric. The Post, of course, checked and corrected its story over the weekend, but not before Vermont's governor and congressional delegation were in full cry, baying for GRU blood. We wondered if fear of Russian grid hacking would move north of the border, and it appears it has. Canadian authorities are investigating a possible cyber threat against Ontario's Hydro One electrical utility. There may be nothing more to it than there was to the Burlington Electric incident, but the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are on the case. The Canadian reaction is more cautious and measured than the past week saw from their neighbors to the south. And in any case, the RCMP is on the case. The Mounties always get their man, if there's a man or woman, to get. Another claimed hack may be a hoax. The black hat showboat hacker who goes by Cyberzeist says he compromised a U.S. FBI website and dumped the credentials he harvested on Pastebin. But the caper looks bogus. 
The Register reports that the security team at Plone, which produces the FBI's content management system, calls hogwash. The email addresses seem to be derived from old publicly available dumps, and the password hashes don't add up either. Speaking of things that don't quite add up, we speak regularly of hacktivists here, people or groups who take up a cause online. But what about faketivists? We checked in with Marika Chauvin, senior threat intelligence researcher at ThreatConnect, about their recent blog post, Hacktivists versus Faketivists, Fancy Bears in Disguise. This all kind of began with the DNC breach um, and its aftermath. A threat actor known as, or a persona known as Gustafer 2.0, um, kind of came out of the woodwork uh, right after CrowdStrike announced that it had attributed um, the attacks on the DNC to Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear. So in the fictivist research that we've done at Threat Connect, we focused primarily on Fancy Bear because we have found overlaps in targeting focus and infrastructure used by Gucci for 2.0, DC Leaks, and Fancy Bear. So the day after the breach was publicized, Gucci for 2.0 emerged with a WordPress blog. And then later, a couple days later, a Twitter handle. Um, Gucci for 2.0 claimed that that persona alone was responsible for the DNC hack and that they compromised the organization in the summer of 2015. And then what was likely an effort to add some legitimacy to the persona's claims, um, it then began posting documents that were stolen from the DNC um, on that blog. Now, interestingly enough, the more that Guccifer 2.0 talked um, and the more that he claimed, the less sense he made. One claim that was particularly odd was that he compromised the DNC back in September 2015, using the bug that mistakenly gave Bernie Sanders' campaign unauthorized access to voter information. Now, that sounds plausible until you start kind of looking into that bug. And in our conversations with NGP Van, um, we found that the specific bug that was referenced by Gucci for 2.0 didn't even exist in the code until December 2015. Hmm. And so... I like to say that either this guy, gal group, this ha- this faked best, either has a TARDIS a, or a souped up DeLorean. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, that's the only way he could have traveled forward in time and then back. Why a persona at all? You know, why not simply have, you know, WikiLeaks release the information or, or just have it anonymously go to the press? Was there any sense of what the advantage is of, of putting, a, you know, some kind of a face behind this stuff? I believe so. I mean, I can speculate as to what the people behind the persona um, were trying to do. But when it comes to something like WikiLeaks, they have no control over the timing of a publication. Whereas if they create their own persona to share that information out, not only do they have the plausible deniability that they would have gotten with something like WikiLeaks, but they also have control over the message that's getting out there and the timing of that information. That's Marika Chauvin from ThreatConnect. Several exploits in the wild draw security researchers' attention. We'll run through some of them quickly. Forcepoint reports the return of the MM Core backdoor spyware in two new variants, Big Boss and Silly Goose. The GDI Foundation warns of a campaign actively targeting MongoDB. Fujitsu and its partners Forcepoint and Recorded Future are tracking the RIG exploit kit. 
which is now serving TrickBot and Madness Quantloader. And we note that ransomware does indeed seem to be holding its prominence in the threat landscape. It's increasingly seen equipped with DDoS and doxing functionality. Dunbar Security calls the latter doxware. GoldenEye ransomware is appearing in campaigns targeting HR departments, especially vulnerable because the nature of their business tends to make them willing to open email attachments. There is some good news on this front. MSysoft has a decryptor for version 3 of Globe ransomware. So again, bravo, MSysoft. And finally, we heard yesterday about the teddy bear and Billy Bass threats to mental well-being, if not to security. Today, we hear about another toy-related issue. Parents, take heed. An Arkansas mother had secured her iPhone with a nice biometric feature enrolling her fingerprint to control access. She dozed off, as moms will, in Arkansas and elsewhere. But when she awoke, presumably refreshed, she saw to her horror that she apparently had been hacked. The indicator of compromise was the purchase of some $250 worth of Pokemon-themed toys from Amazon. Before Mom could call Isaac Mama to report the incident for investigation, her six-year-old daughter proudly told her, Mommy, I was shopping. The child had used Sleeping Mom's thumb to unlock Sleeping Mom's iPhone. We say, don't feel bad, friend. A lot of us have been there. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Rick Howard. He's the CSO at Palo Alto Networks. He also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Uh, Rick, you had a, a recent blog post. Uh, it was called The Next Board Problem, Automatic Enterprise Security Orchestration. Uh, this is a new term to me. Uh, describe what you're talking about when you're talking about security orchestration. Yeah, this is uh, something that's been popped up in the last year or so. Uh, lots of network defenders are struggling with this idea. 
And it's kind of this evolving evolution of how we manage our network defense. Uh, you know, when I first started doing this in the 90s, all we had was uh, uh, defense in depth. And, you know, we would put random controls uh, in our networks and hope that the bad guy would uh, be stopped. And back in those days, you know, we all had three controls. We had a firewall, we had an antivirus solution, and we had an intrusion prevention system. And when we only had three, it was easy enough to manage. But defense in depth really hasn't worked that well, and uh, we've been struggling with it till about 2010, when Lockheed Martin and crew wrote a white paper describing the kill chain. And, and what they realized is that we needed to put prevention controls at every phase of the kill chain. And security vendors were only too happy to find really great products to put at each of those spots. <laughs> and what has happened then is an explosion of security tools, we call them point products, that everybody has to manage. Um, typical organizations that I run into are running 15 to 20 point products that just do security down the kill chain. Uh, other high-end organizations with lots of resources, they're managing 80 uh, point products. I talked to one financial a couple weeks ago. Uh, he claims to have 150. Wow. And how do you manage all those things? And the dirty secret in the security community is that we expect the customer to do that. And it is my experience that you pay for a point product three times. You buy the box, you gotta buy a person who can make the box go, maintain it, keep the blinky lights going, and you gotta buy a person who understands the data coming off the box. And you probably need a fourth person who can stitch them all together. If you have 15 point products, someone has to be able to paint a coherent picture. Well, most organizations cannot do that, and it's expensive and time-consuming and it just doesn't get done. And what Many organizations do is just deploy those machines and uh, in the in the default configurations and hope that they do some good. So there are two models that have emerged to try to fill that need, and uh, one is the platform play, and all the firewall vendors have a platform play, where they put all those point products into a single platform uh, for the purpose of stopping the bad guys down the kill chain. So that's one model. Mm -hmm. The other model is uh, third-party vendors. Uh, doing the orchestration uh, for the customer, meaning they might be a cloud play and they might orchestrate 20 or 30 of the point products themselves. So you, you give them permission to do that for you. So those are sort of the two competing models uh, that are going, uh, they're doing this orchestration bit. So is the notion to, to take some of the complexity away from the organization, sort of I'll, I'll, I'll job that out to someone else? Yeah, because most organizations barely have enough to do their, their their security operations center. They definitely don't have enough people to do intelligence and um, maintenance of all the gear that they have. So the question they ask, customers are asking us is, why aren't the security vendors uh, talking to each other and getting this stuff done? Or helping us to move closer to that, uh, that goal of getting all done without them having to do all of it. And so these are the models that are pushing forward. All right, interesting stuff. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. 
That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.